0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. I want to give you another what I call potluck sermon. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 19. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. If you're on your phone, you want to scroll to it. Uh, you can get it on our app, our Tidely app, our church app. Don't forget about that. Uh, so uh, go to Matthew 19 today. Uh, this is an interesting interesting scripture for me uh, because it, in my opinion, is rather amazing in the manner and way uh, that John uh, lays things out in his gospel, and then Matthew comes around and talks about it here. I'm delighted about the way that God speaks to us through uh, His disciples. And so this one uh, is entitled, The Understanding Christ. Now, you remember we had the mind of Christ two weeks ago. Uh, Last week, we looked at the love of Christ, and today we look at the understanding of Christ. Now, you might find that there's a lot of overlap between these messages, and shouldn't there be? Uh, The concepts are all the same, because the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has a spiritual mind He has spiritual love, and He has spiritual understanding. We have a mind and love and understanding, but they're not always spiritual, or they're not always wrapped in spirituality, uh, because our emotions and our feelings and our thinking sometimes cloud the spiritual part of our judgment. And so we need to understand that Christ never allowed that to happen. So I want to speak with you today on that. So you have your Bibles turn to Matthew 19, uh, scroll down to verse 11. Now you might find that this is a little interesting since it's right on the tail end of Jesus talking about divorce. We're not talking about divorce today, uh, although that's that's a subject that has been in debate for years in the church. Uh, nevertheless, it's not, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, uh, a sin that you can't be forgiven for. Some have said it is. I I don't. I don't read that, and so, and I'm grateful that it isn't. We can be restored, you know. And so, God wants to restore us from everything, no matter what it is. And so, uh, other than blasphemy toward the Holy Spirit, not going to get into that today. Either way, uh, as you scroll down, you're going to find out that uh, after, as they're talking about this divorce and restoration of it, the Pharisees are again trying to catch Jesus uh, and detrimenting the Scripture, which He never, ever does, never has, never will. Uh, and as they're doing so, their their hearts and minds are hardened and they're they're being wicked in the manner way that they're doing it. They just don't like him. That's basically what it is. Not that what he isn't he's saying isn't truth. They just don't like him because he threatens their way of life and their hold that they have on society and the way that they want to force wrong ideals wrapped in godly authority. And so as they do this, Jesus rebukes them gently at first, and then he gets uh, a little bit stern and strong with them. And if we pick up here uh, after he's ta- talked to these these guys, the disciples ask him a question about what it's going to be like uh, in heaven. And so, uh, because they say, "Well, you know, if if this is the case, that maybe it's better not to marry at all," and Jesus said, "Wait a minute." <laughs> And so now he comes forward with this this idea, and you might not think it has to do with his understanding, but it absolutely is his understanding. Listen to what he says. Not everyone can accept this word, and I'm stunned by that. In other words, he's talking about the whole word of God. Not everyone can accept the commands that the Father has handed down, the commands that the Son has given, nor the word that surrounds it. Not everyone can accept the Word of God. Not everyone can accept what God has said. Of course not. We don't like it sometimes. And it's not just us. It's, it's As Christians, it's also people outside. In fact, more so outside the Christian faith. People don't like the idea because they're told some things that they have to do or not do, and they don't want to be told what they can and can't do. We don't want to be told what to think or what not to think or how to be or how not to be. And so Jesus said not everyone can accept this Word. Now, the word isn't capitalized there, but I want you to understand that what he's talking about is from the word of God and is from his mouth. So it could be, and in some versions you might find that it is. And so he says, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. So in other words, only those who have been given the word, okay, those who accept it, those, I think he's referring to the Holy Spirit, only those who have the Holy Spirit can understand the word that's being given to them makes a lot of sense to me. He said, look at this. In verse 12, for some are eunuchs because they were born that way, and yet others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, it, he's given an example on marriage and a eunuch, or, and whether you were made that way, you're born that way, or whether you made yourself that way by human hands. He says it doesn't make any difference. It is still, it is what it is. Nevertheless, the same is true as it relates to our spirituality and the word of God. And I think that's interesting because as soon as he finishes it, he goes right into the little children. And Now, now your Bible will probably put a caption between these two things, but Jesus doesn't seem to take a breath here. He seems to go right in from this marriage thing into the children. It's almost like he finishes speaking about this word and the way things are and the word of God as well as his commands. And then he goes right into this thing. I think children, um, as soon as there's a little pause, children try to come up to him. And of course, you, you'll see, read here what the Bible says about that. And it's almost like Jesus immediately instructs and then turns and accepts these children as they're walking up to him. It's a beautiful scenario. And it says in 13, then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. It was like an immediacy, like he speaks and then here's the kids. Uh, the parents are like, oh, there's a break. Let's take our kids to him. And so they do. And so now the kids are coming up and it says the disciples rebuke those who brought them toward Jesus. And the disciples brought rebuke them who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And, and such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, this is a stunning scenario for me. Deep teaching on marriage and what I perceive to be the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Not everybody can, everybody can accept this teaching, okay? And then immediately there's a law. The parents bring their kids, and now Jesus goes immediately in to get this the innocence or the simplicity of children. That's stunning to me. He goes from this deep teaching into simplicity. It's almost like he's marrying the two together and saying, look at here, it doesn't matter how simple you are, you can understand the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay. So the pa- this passage that we're using today uh, gives us real insights into the nature of Jesus. And that's why I want to touch on that today. Now, he had been traveling daily. He was constantly surrounded by people. He was obviously very physically weary. I, I-, I suspect... All of us would have been. And this wasn't the only time, nor was it the last time that this sort of thing had happened when the disciples tried to protect him, you know, because Jesus let it all hang out all the time. He was constantly around people and people around him and constantly about their business, constantly teaching the kingdom of God, constantly worried about their needs and constantly healing and trying to make them understand. He was always about the common person. He was also frustrated by the Pharisees and their constant and petty attacks. You know, he, he, here, here he is trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth to teach the people, help them to understand and do good things before, you know, he's only got three years or so here in his ministry before he goes, you know, to this date with the cross and then back to heaven. And of course, there's a little more time past that, but, you know, he's, he doesn't have a lot of time here. And so here's the Pharisees constantly with their representatives trying to trip him up, following him around, trying to hear what he said, twisting what he said, and and, and trying to catch him uh, in a manner that they can accuse him to get rid of him. Never mind, he's their savior. Of course, the Bible's clear about that. You know, their jealousy, their insecurities, these things ruled their thoughts. It ruled their actions. They could not help themselves. And you can almost see the hand of Satan Prompting them and helping them and pushing them and saying, you know, and and because obviously their attitudes, you know, the reason they were doing things, uh, what they were doing, that's not godly, even in their their perception of godliness for godliness. It's not even there. Okay? You can even even from their perspective, from the from the Torah, the Old Testament, even that wouldn't have been the nature of God. So what nature is it? Well, it's kind of clear whose nature it is, the one who hates God. They hated God, okay, because they hated the Christ. Jesus told us that the world will hate you as a Christian because it first hated him, (laughs) right? Well, that's Satan. And so clearly Satan is involved here. Now, this would be enough to frustrate anybody, okay? You would be frustrated because not only are people against you, but Satan's behind it, and Jesus clearly knows it, okay? And you, you can almost feel you know, the presence of Satan when he's, when he's thwarting you, he's harassing you, can't you? And so this is what we're talking about here, okay? So he, here's Jesus, and yet he's incredibly patient with, with those that didn't understand his teaching, whether it was the people that were simple or the Pharisees that were so incredibly smart and educated, but yet they were so filled with themselves and Satan's authority that they too didn't understand it. He's patient with all of them. And I'm thinking, yikes. It's like he had to change gears and change hats nonstop in every crowd he was ever in. He didn't know who was friend or foe. I mean, that's stunning to me. He didn't know why they were trying to learn from him, whether to try to catch him in something or because they truly wanted it. Or maybe they were just there because other people were there. Or maybe they just thought they wanted to see a miracle. I and mean, the Bible tells us that. So there are a lot of reasons why people came to see him. And he he has to change gears Constantly, and yet he's so steadfast in his heart. I'm I'm moved by that. And the Pharisees simply could not understand the difference between spiritual thinking and human thinking. And I wonder sometimes if maybe we're not that person. We don't understand the difference. And of course, this adds to Jesus' frustration. Because he, he wants them to understand, and yet they don't, and mostly because they they won't. <laughs> Not that they can't, they won't. And so, of course, you would be frustrated thinking the answer is right in front of you, and yet you just can't see it because you don't want to. And I think he gets frustrated with me that, that way sometimes. I think he gets frustrated with all of us because of that. Now, the disciples knew what Jesus had been through. See, you, you really you really can't blame them at this point. I mean, I, I think we do. We say we wouldn't, uh, but I think maybe I would be kind of protective of Jesus. Sometimes I am protective of him. Sometimes I am protective of him, okay? And so, when the mothers brought their children to Jesus, the disciples, again, tried to protect him from from what they saw, just more people, okay? Just more people. And they considered the Pharisees and those who couldn't understand to be time wasters, you see? They didn't see themselves as time wasters. Uh, and I suspect that there were times when they were off alone with Jesus, and he had to repeat and reiterate again and again and again. Did they ever see themselves as a time waster? My guess is no. But they looked at other people who didn't get it immediately, whether they couldn't because of their simplicity or because they wouldn't based on their heart and heart and mind, and, and they were they considered these people to be you know time wasters. And so they tried to protect Jesus from these people, and Jesus said, <laughs> no. I don't need to be protected from these people. I'm here for them. Just like I'm here for you. You see, this is this is the stunning understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now here they are looking at these children and these mothers, and they're thinking that they're rather insignificant. Sometimes we think children are insignificant. I mean we love them as children, but when we're doing something that's really important, you know. Well, the children are to be seen and not heard, right? Now, you say, today that's changed, and I suspect that it has. For children, interrupt and do things that they probably ought not do. Uh, And and sometimes, even our license plates say it's all for the kids sometimes. We have to be careful with that. I don't think we need to put children before everybody. Uh, Children are human just like everybody else, and everybody has their place in life. But here's the deal, okay? You don't just give kids anything they want when they want it. You know, we're doing that today, and that's causing a problem, but that's a sermon for another day. Either way, uh, the children are also not insignificant, and in the church, sometimes uh, we've done it as pastors. We've said, well, you've got to start out as a children's pastor or a youth pastor, and then when you get smart enough, you can become an adult pastor. That's insane. Some people are never, ever called to be a children's pastor or a youth pastor, and some people are never called to be an adult pastor. You should do what you're called to do, okay? Now, that's changing, thankfully, but yet still, we put more emphasis on adult ministries than we do on children's ministries a lot, okay? Got to be careful with that because Jesus gives us, you know, no no breakout with that. He says, let them come to Him as they should. And so, as the disciples are saying, no, 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 He's had enough and you're just children, this isn't significant. This isn't important. We're dealing with important stuff here. Jesus is like, no, no, no. He turns immediately and says, let them come into me, as they should, because they're part of this, and they can understand sometimes better than you adults can. This is stunning to me. And so he also understands the desires of these mothers, too, the, the desire that these mothers have that Jesus or their children know Jesus and come to him. They want them to start spirituality and and know the Christ early on in life, and shouldn't we all, okay? And so, regardless of how he felt physically, regardless of how he felt mentally, or how wiped out he was emotionally, he responds immediately to their needs. Isn't that cool? Now, I'm thinking Jesus must have been an awfully strong individual, both spiritually and physically, to put up with this, you know? The rigors of the life he lived and the strong men who were drawn to him in his disciples and those others that followed him give me evidence that he was indeed very strong. He was no wimp. He's portrayed that way sometimes. He's portrayed that in his mildness sometimes that he was kind of wishy-washy about things or just sweet all the time. Not so. Strong men were, were drawn to Jesus, and it wouldn't be if he was a wimp or if he just you know, back down from a fight or if he just, you know, sulked away like we think Christians ought to be. Mm-mm. Jesus was not that. That's why these men were drawn to him. He was a strong. In fact, Stu Weber writes a book called Tender Warrior, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus was a tender warrior, okay? And and so that's why these men are drawn. And so he has to be strong. And when we add his physical capabilities uh, with this sensitive and caring heart that he had, I find that the picture of Jesus is not only beautiful, it's inspiring. It's inspiring because we have to see that Jesus had both sensitivity and compassion as well as mental, mental, emotional, and physical prowess and ability. And so today, I want to look at how well He actually understands people. Isn't that interesting? My first point is that Christ understood The minds of humankind. There's a lot of people in life that you think don't understand you. In fact, some people have told me no one understands me. (laughs) We want to be understood, don't we? Now, the Bible indicates to us, this is a cliche, but the Bible uh, indicates to us that we ought to try to understand before being understood. And that's just good advice in in a marriage. It's good advice, right? We should all learn from that. Uh, and it's a good advice in any of our, our relationships, and certainly in our relationship with God. Amen? Uh, but but that's that's a cliche, but it's good advice. Either way, Christ understood the minds of humankind. Now, He could have spoken well above everybody. He, you know, He's the Christ. He's, he's the Son of God. In fact, He is God. And so, He could have spoken in a manner and way that nobody would, would have understood anything He said. I mean... He had perfect understanding from the Father. He understood the creation of the world, and more than that, He had the heart of the Father. Since He not only came from the Father, He was with the Father in the beginning. I mean, honestly, ask yourself this question, what did Jesus not know? What did Jesus not understand? Well, nothing. So, He could have spoken of all of these things in a way that might have been a depth, that would have explained the foundations of the Father, which is quite a bit, you know, uh, the Father's world and the creation of it, as well as the Father's love that He has for us, which I still don't quite fathom, okay? But this would have meant that He had to speak in this clouded language of theologians to, to, to really express and cover the depth of His understanding and knowledge and what He wanted to communicate. But Jesus knew that the common people could not relate to that type of language. And he wanted everybody to have the opportunity to understand God, regardless of your simplicity or depth, your age and experience, hence the children, right on top or on the heels of this depth on marriage. Isn't that stunning? I'm thinking, wow, I mean, that's, that's Jesus. Now, on that note, it's for sure highly significant that the first people he called were simple fishermen. They weren't theologians. In fact, he didn't call any theologians. Now, a pretty sharp guy in Luke followed him, but Jesus didn't call him to be a disciple. He accepted him as an apostle, but he chose 12 guys that were rather simplistic in their minds. Isn't that stunning? Not even a mi- We would say, okay, let's do Let's get a mix, though. One, Jesus didn't. I'm not saying we should go out, you know, and find simple minds and everything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is he did that, though. There's a reason why. He had to do that. He wanted to do that. You see... <laughs> These were men who were not only simple, but they also had lived a hardened life of rough and hard work as fishermen, as well as the difficulties that life brought to them, right? I mean, fishing was not only difficult, it was temperamental, (laughs) weather, you know, whether the fish wanted to bite or not, you know, Uh, being out in the water and catching cold and being sick, I mean, you're in a wet environment like that, Uh, fishermen typically uh, have a lot of health problems. Ask any Gloucesterman. ask any people that work on the fishing boats, I'm telling you, okay? It's just part of life, even today with what we have in medicine. It's a difficult life, hard work and hard on the body. And and here's these guys trying to make it as a fisherman, you know, just trying to make it and make money and live in a world where the economy wasn't very good and under a Roman regime that really could care less about the common person. And to that end, the people struggled to understand why God, who had been with their ancestors, just didn't seem to be with them now. And it seemed like He cared much less about them than He did in the past. And the disciples had to deal with that, and a whole society of people that thought that. And so, here's Jesus who had the ability to relate truths of extreme depth and splendor to their minds, and He goes to these people, not the learned society of Pharisees, scribes, and priests. It doesn't compute, but that's what He did. And here He is, this Jesus, who's determined to not only teach the people of the things of God, but He also wants them to understand the compassion of God even if it doesn't seem like God's compassionate to them, just like it doesn't seem to us sometimes that God's compassionate, okay? Hence, as I've said the last two weeks, we tried to separate God the Father and Christ the Son because we think one's compassionate and the other's not. No. Jesus is an exact representation of the Father, which means he, His compassion is the Father's compassion. Understand? Now, remember too, Jesus could speak the language of scholars. At age 12, we find that He taught in the temple. Now, I'm sure that that was a staggering display of understanding and knowledge to the theologians of His day. And I'm sure they didn't quite uh, get how this young and not yet teenager could speak the depths of the Word of God as well as the meaning of it. And I'm equally sure that they didn't understand that He was actually God incarnate, which is why He was able to do what He did. They likely thought that He simply had this massive ability or some supernatural thing that happened to understand certain things, because that's how we explain things when we can't explain them. But they certainly didn't think that He was actually God Himself. And isn't, isn't it here just like Jesus to speak in a manner that everybody can understand from the theologians of his day to the simplistic and in, the, in, the, in mind and inexperienced, as well as to the children? I don't have that ability. Teaching children scares me to death because I don't think I can relate to them. You see, this is you know, and aren't we all that way? Don't we don't we kind of have our niche, who we identify with? You know, some people who are highly educated believe they can speak more to those who are highly educated. Those who are less educated uh, believe that they can relate to the less educated, and and those who j- just adore children and love children uh, find that they can sometimes relate to children better than adults. It happens. It's who we are. But Jesus spoke to everyone and He wants everyone to understand and they can do so if they will only allow themselves to be taught and to believe the truth that He presents as presented. Therein lies the key. Am I willing to listen to Jesus regardless of what my status is? Am I willing to be convinced? Am I willing to understand my need for Him? Am I willing to be taught? Even if it goes against what I think I already know. That's the Lord. And so, as I look at this, Jesus is still relating to us in the same manner today. The things that matter the most are actually simple. He communicates with us in a way that we can comprehend the truths. And the basic facts that make or break our lives are grounded in plain truths. They always have been. If we will only open our hearts, if we'll be moldable, if we'll be teachable, if we'll be willing to set aside our preconceived ideals, and the cloudiness of what we've always known. If we'll be this empty vessel, emptying ourselves to take in what He wants to fill it with, if we'll do that, then we can learn and understand the depths of things that God wants us to know, but we probably won't until that point. And when we do it, we'll see and understand God in a way and a manner that we never have, and let me explain why. You see, it's true that God wants us to be simple like children sometimes in our understanding, and I think that's part of what Jesus was trying to teach. He wants us to be simple because children accept and believe in things that adults don't oftentimes. Now, you can say that's because there's a reason for that. They haven't experienced anything yet. Yeah, but there's a beauty in it. They look for the best in people and the best in the situation, and they believe in it. we become so cynical we don't. No. I think God wants us to return to that simplicity sometimes. Let me me get into that more. As we've seen in the last two sermons over the last couple of weeks, speaking simply does not remove the seriousness, the depth, nor the severity of what Jesus taught. I just want to bounce back to that just for a second. Being simple doesn't mean we discount the depth and severity of what He taught and what He's continuing to teach. Simple doesn't absolve us from being diligent to know the truth, the whole truth, and live it. We are never to compromise the truth. We're never to condone those who do it either. And this is exactly why Jesus gave us the parable of the talents. Because what He has given you and I, my friends, the depth of it is precious. And we are to see it as precious, and we're to behave to it accordingly. Remember that. That's a sermon for another day, but that's the truth of it. God's given you a talent. What are you doing with it? Now, we have been taught our whole lives that Jesus taught simply, and that meant to us over the years to just cover everything with love, compassion, and grace, which in turn, as we've learned in the last two weeks, translated to just accepting people and everything about them, including their sinfulness. Jesus at no time ever did that. Because the only problem with it is He didn't teach it that way. We think He did based on the love and compassion He had for people. He didn't. Okay, we learned that last week in the love of Christ. And it certainly isn't how He is teaching us to live now. And as we learned last week, the love of Christ doesn't allow us to accept nor condone sinful beliefs or behaviors. If you really love people, if you really love God, you can't condone sinfulness, let alone accept it and practice it. You can't. If you do, you're not helping people, you're crippling them, and that's not love. You're keeping them from the kingdom of heaven, you understand? Which is why Jesus said, don't keep the children from me. They need to see the kingdom of heaven. They need to learn about the teaching I just told you about marriage. Do you understand? This is what marriage is. This is what divorce is. This is what all these things are. And the children need to hear it and listen. And that's why we need to have children's church, so that they can learn the truth. Maybe we present it differently, but they they learn the same Bible we all do. There's a reason for it. Same Christ, same God, same everything. Amen? That's the way it is. Friends, (laughs) Friends, <laughs> In fact, not only does Christ not condone sinful behavior and thoughts, nor us accepting them, love of Christ, the love of Christ demands just the opposite. But there's another side to this, that's my second point. Christ understands the concerns of humanity. He understands that we're concerned. He understands, as parents, our concerns for our children. And I want to start there today because of the parents and the children in our Scripture. In fact, in our scripture today, we find out that he understood the mother's love for their children, just as he understood Herod's royal official in John 4, whose son was dying. I want to move to this one very quickly. How the man had treated the common people didn't seem to matter to Jesus. Jesus understood the man. The same is true of the Gentile woman in Matthew 15, whose daughter was demon-possessed. Now, he understood, and it didn't matter that she wasn't a Jew. In fact, the Bible says she was a Gentile, and he, he took care of it anyway nor did it seem to matter the timing. He always understood whether it was convenient for him or not. He was understanding. Remember, he had just experienced the transfiguration and the importance of that moment when he was accosted by this man who was also uh, the father of a demon-possessed boy. And then... The disciples, you know, had compassion on the man. The, Jesus, here he is in the middle of the transfiguration with, with uh, three of his disciples. The rest of them are all hanging out over here. And this man comes up knowing Jesus is here, but Jesus is kind of busy with the transfiguration, you know. And so here, here's these the, the other nine disciples here, and the, and, and the guy comes up and says, well, maybe you can help me. Well, he's kind of busy. Yeah, but maybe you can help me. And so they try to cast the demon out, and they can't do it. They can't do it. And so, just as he comes down off this mountain at the Transfiguration, uh, the disciples say, "Ah, oh, Lord!" When he comes, here's this guy, and boom, from this to this, there he is, just like that. Yikes! Jesus was tired. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just had this amazing God experience. And now he's bothered, if you want to put it that way, by the fact that his disciples still just don't seem to have enough faith to do things spiritual that they ought to be able to do now. (laughs) And what does he do? Well, he understands and he cares even when others didn't or couldn't. He understands our concerns about our friends as well, the concern we have for them. Every single one of us has a friend or more who doesn't know Jesus, amen? Every single one of us has a friend or more who claim to be a Christian, and yet we look at their lives and think, eh, not so sure what Christianity is going on in there, and I'm not so sure that they're spending a lot of time right here, you see. We all know people like that. Because their lives don't necessarily reflect their declaration. And He wants us, friends, to share His concern for them. You see, Jesus is more concerned for our friends and loved ones than we are. <laughs> I know it's hard, that's a hard pill for you to swallow. It's a hard pill for me to swallow. But the fact is, Jesus is more concerned about people than we are. You have to get that. And He wants us to share the depth of His concern for them rather than ours. Because ours will give up and His never does. See, See, ours is conditional. His never is. Ours is determined by what we're going through or feeling at that moment. His never does. It never did, you see. And He was human too, right? You see that. Why? Because His concern will become our concern. (laughs) until it's not convenient or when we're too busy to do anything about it. That's why His concern has to be ours. We'll, we'll like, grab hold of the coattails and say we're concerned until, again, convenience, tiredness, sick of, sick of it, whatever. That's who we are. And Jesus is who He is. Remember. He healed the paralyzed man whose friends brought him to Jesus by cutting a hole in the roof and lowering him, lowering him down to the Christ in Mark 2 when he was visiting and teaching in a home. Remember also that this man's friends were concerned about the man's physical condition. That's why they brought him. I don't think anybody said, hey, let's go cut a hole in that roof and take our friend up there so that Jesus can you know, uh, uh, heal his spirituality, so Jesus you know, can forgive him of his sins. Nobody said that. It wasn't even on our minds. Friends, you can say, oh, it might have been. No, it wasn't. Because they acted the same way we do. Because we're concerned for people when we see that they have physical limitations. That moves us to compassion more sometimes than the fact that they don't have Jesus Christ in their life. Now, I want that to sink into your mind for a minute. Because the example's right here in the Word of God, you see. Isn't that amazing? But Jesus was more concerned about the man's spiritual condition. Why? He healed that part first. Now, of course, there were people who scoffed at that. And I'm sure the guys that lowered their friend down were going, what did he do? What happened? They're, up, they're up there at the top of the roof, you know, and, and and one is looking in, and I can almost see it. And he said, well, he forgave him of his sins. He, he, he did what? Ooh, well, what? What about his legs? Can you see it? Now, I wonder if our human compassion is misplaced sometimes. The world would say it is. If somebody, you know, has a a physical ailment, if they're an invalid, if they're, they're, uh, you know, if their body, if their legs or their arms or whatever doesn't doesn't work, or if their mind doesn't work, or whatever, or something doesn't work, and it gives them physical limitations, even if they're dire, even if they're dire, and we'll say, do you know Jesus? What? Are you serious? We want want to help their physical ailments, their mental ailments, their emotionality. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. And I'm not saying God's not concerned because He is. But what's first? With Jesus, it was always their spirituality. And with us, it ought to be too. It ought to be too. I wonder sometimes if we have more concern over a person's physical, mental, or emotional condition than the concern we have for their spiritual condition. You'll have to remember as well that Jesus understands our concerns, whatever they are. (laughs) And He wants to help. But He will never, ever, now hear me, He will never compromise someone's spiritual condition to help anything else he won't compromise it you understand he won't heal you physically in place of your broken spiritual condition he never has because what's the most important to him is that you spend eternity with him regardless of your physical limitations and we read from the scripture that once we pass that threshold the physical limitations in heaven are no longer that's why we're storing up treasure There, here, you see. Wow. He will never put our human needs over our spiritual heavenly needs. Now, friends, if if you really are willing to learn here, you're really willing to be convinced, you're really willing to allow God to teach you this, then this is true concern. When you have true concern over some spiritual needs and it's over every other need that they have, now that's true concern. And I pray that our concerns align with His. (laughs) For if they do, I think amazing things are going to happen in the lives of our children and our friends. How about that? Thirdly, Jesus understands life's frustrations. (laughs) Are you frustrated? (laughs) What frustrates you? I, I, You know, I'm frustrated by people, television, our political situation, COVID-19, right? I was uh, reminded the other day, and I can't remember from what, this cartoon one time is based on Star Trek. And it says, beam me up, Scotty, for there's no intelligent life down here. I'm not trying to be judgmental or stereotypical. But sometimes I look at certain people and I think, how do you survive out here? Right? Because it isn't that they're, they have some mental limitation. They just choose not to exert it, you see. And, everybody, and you're, all, you're all smirking, and you're all giggling, you're all, you know, okay, you know, grudgingly agreeing because you've seen it a time or two. Have you ever gone, and I'm not picking on people that work in restaurants or fast food, but have you ever walked in, and you're in a hurry, and there's a bunch of people back there, and some people are doing this here like they have no idea what to do next, even though there's people at the counter, or there's people working trying to get food, right? And it's not just, it's everywhere. Some people are just clueless in life. And I hope that they grow out of that, don't you? But some people are quite a bit older and they still happened. I think sometimes it's a choice. Not going to get into that today. But 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 I'll tell you I'm frustrated. Life life is filled and it's going to always be filled with frustrations. Namely because people don't do or act in a manner or way that we want them to. We get frustrated when we can't do things too. I remember my grandparents when they were older, they, they didn't figure things out as easily as maybe, you know, I did. And I remember I was like 10 years old and my grandmother had a, uh, 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 she, had, she had all her life, you know, she was in her 80s, you know, uh, yeah, quite, wasn't quite 90. And she had always used uh, this kind of can opener, right? And then all of a sudden, somebody got her one that was electric one, you know, and she's like, ooh. And, and it came in two pieces. It came with the unit itself, and then it came with a little attachment that holds a can on and, you, and, and holds a lid up for you. And she didn't know how to attach it, so she took the magnet and stuck it on there. Stuck it on the can on And so I took it off, and she goes, no, it goes like that. And I said, well, well no, Grandma, it doesn't. She says, it, no, it, it certainly does. It's been there the whole time I've had it. Stuck it right on there. Now, I noticed that it had two little hooks that would, you know, and the magnet would hold the candle lid, And so I, when she was looking, I <laughs> said, so Grandma, I think this is it. <laughs> she said, huh, I bet it does go there. But I would, I, I remember, I wonder how frustrated she was trying to figure out where that thing went and how it went there. You know, and I wonder—I wonder if we're not frustrated sometimes. By that's a simple thing, but what? What about other? Th- and the older you get, the more frustrated you become. Am I wrong, Patty? No. Frustration. You see, Jesus. I look at all these examples, and I've got a whole bunch of them for you today. He understand. He understood the confusion of the woman at the well. Now, that's a well-known story. He understood her confusion and frustration. Let's go back to John four. Life and people had mocked this woman, made fun of her, talked about her when she wasn't looking. Sometimes they did it when she was looking. I mean, I don't, I can't prove that, but I'm pretty sure because I know society. But yet, Jesus had compassion on her. He didn't, he didn't absolve her of her lifestyle. Oh, that's okay. Go ahead. But he had compassion on her. He knew for a fact how and why. She was in the situation that she was. It didn't matter that she was this half-breed that people called her, which you and I know to be a Samaritan, half-Jew and half-Gentile. It didn't seem to matter to him why she was in her sinful position, nor did it seem to matter to him that she caused it by her poor choices, her poor choices in men, her poor choices in life, that caused her to have to settle for less than stellar partners, perhaps. You might even go, be willing to go so far as to say that she might have been a victim of her environment and upbringing, as we so often see today, and as we so often forgive because of it. Jesus didn't even talk about that. And nor should we. It doesn't matter how or why a person is or have gotten to where they are. Jesus is concerned from that moment when they meet Him as to where they're going to go and do with it, you see. He's more concerned with the spiritual part than why they got there in the first place. It didn't seem to matter that she wasn't married. It didn't seem to matter that she had defiled herself sexually with the partner that she now has. It didn't seem to matter that she had been married to several men throughout her life and none of them worked out. And so now she decides to just shack up and not get married because it isn't worth the hassle. That's the indication we get. Which means she's been divorced several times. Jesus told her, you know, you've been with five men you know, you've been married to five men and this one you're with now is not your husband. That's what he told her. And, and yet he doesn't say, shame on you. But what he does do is not say, <laughs> he did not say, just bless your heart, it's all right. Sleep with whoever you want. You couldn't help it after all. He didn't do that. He holds you accountable to it by getting her to want to change her situation and her life. I believe she did. We're going to get there in a minute. He was completely truthful with this woman from the get-go. And though he had compassion, he never condoned what she was doing, nor did he let her off the hook notice. He told her to take ownership of what she'd done and then to change it. He didn't condemn her at that time, but he seems to inform her that the day is going to come when he may have no choice. Now, hold that in your mind for a minute. But either way, he leaves the decision and the choice up to her, hoping she will see her sinful lifestyle, her sinful belief system, her sinful thinking, and the crutch that she has given herself to continue to do it. He's, he's hoping she'll be sorry for it, ask forgiveness, and then correct it. I know that based on how it all goes. And again, it appears to me that she did, along with all the other people that she told about it. The Bible says many Gentiles came to, to believe in Christ because of what she told them. I think she was convicted. <laughs> but but it's more than that. He, he, he understood the hopelessness of the lepers. I, 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 this is another stunning story for me. We're told about this story in Luke 17. These, these these 10 men were separated from their loved ones, written off by society. They're forgotten. Oh, yes, they were still alive, but they were considered dead already because when you got leprosy, you didn't make it. So And you couldn't be around anybody, so you, you went off just like that to go die in a society of people that had it with you, one by one, watching others wither away and die as your de- condition deteriorates and withers and you too die. And the cycle continued. And new people were added all the time. As few would die, others would come in. And just, that's the way it was. And I thought, what a lonely place to be. To know that you're slowly dying. Watch yourself waste away alongside others who have the disease with you, knowing that everyone has left you for dead. And I began to think about that, and I thought, oh, the horror, the agony of such a situation. And here here comes Jesus. He doesn't seem to be concerned that they have leprosy. Everybody else is. Everybody makes a wide berth, you know. And even if you wanted, as a loved one, to go give compassion, you could not. It was just the law, because they didn't want to spread it, you know. Kind of like COVID now, today. not they? But here's the thing, Jesus went over there and brought restoration. And since Jesus has perfect understanding, He also knew that all but one, all but one wouldn't even thank Him for healing them. He knew before He did it that one would turn and thank Him and the other nine would not. And one would have to go a little distance and think about it and come back. Such as humanity, you know. But it didn't seem to matter to him that they didn't or wouldn't thank him. And it certainly made him marvel that only one came back to give God glory and the praise that he deserves. Notice, Jesus wasn't concerned. He doesn't say, were there not nine others that also got healed? Why didn't they come and thank me? He says, "Were there not nine also healed? Why only one that gave glory to God? Look at the look at that. He he, he even through that brought glory to his father. Unbelievable to me, unbelievable. But again, that's Jesus. And the fact that the man who did come back was a Samaritan and not a Jew. Well, I have I have news because the indication is the rest of them were all Jews. Notice that." There was no separation between a Samaritan and Jews when you have leprosy. (laughs) You just have leprosy. Woo! That's a sermon for another day. But looky here, okay? (laughs) The one that did come back was the foreigner. It was the the Gentile that came back, the Samaritan, a half-breed. But it proved to Jesus (laughs) of the fallen and lost position of God's chosen people, of the Jews. Nine Jews took off, one Gentile came back. Wow. That's sermon for another day too. Might get that one. And yet, he continued to understand and help them regardless, knowing what they would do. I wonder if those nine Jewish lepers might represent the modern church today. I don't know if any preacher, any pastor, any theologian has ever gone down that road and wondered, let their mind wander to that. I'm not saying I'm brilliant, I'm not. But I I can't get past this. I, I hope somebody has, I hope there's a book on it somewhere, because I'm not, I'm not writing it. But I can tell you my mind goes there. I wonder if there's a correlation here, and I wonder if those in our midst, the Christians, Those that call themselves Christians give God lip service as Christians, and yet we're actually more interested in glorifying ourselves or others over God, because that's exactly what these nine Jews did. And yet, let's pan back to the Christ for a minute. He, He still continues to understand their frustrations. He continues to understand our frustrations. And it it doesn't seem to matter that we're giving him lip service sometimes. We shouldn't do that, but we are. He desires us to be like that Gentile who goes a little distance and says, oh, wait a minute, ooh, right? And and, and we're magnetized back to him to thank him and praise God for what he's done. I, I, I think that's what he's looking for, to give God praise all the time, and being mindful of what He has and continues to do in our midst. I think we would all do well. Instead of giving lip service, well, I'm a Christian. I didn't ask you that. Are you praising God? Are you giving honor and glory to God with your life? Jesus would rather you honor and glorify the Father with your life than to tell anybody that you're a Christian. Because it'll be obvious. You understand? And sometimes, friends, we get so caught up in life that we forget that. Jesus understood the hopelessness of the lepers, the confusion of the woman. He understands life's frustrations. You know what else? He understood the disappointments that come with failure. You see, the, the disciples, this is a great story, his disciples were frustrated at having empty nets. Now, remember, and Jesus has uh, been murdered on the cross, He's been buried away, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. What else is there to do now? I mean, I get it that He was confused, frustrated, whatever, but He goes back to what He knows. This story comes from John chapter 21, one of my favorites. again. No doubt, it likely frustrated Jesus, at least a little bit, that they gave up on Him so quickly. (laughs) Maybe you could make a case that they didn't, but I think they did. Okay. Yes, Jesus had been killed, but He told them repeatedly that this was going to happen. Right? He told them repeatedly that He was going to arise from the dead, and all they want to do is keep Him from dying. Yeah, sometimes we kind of do that too, right? And as soon as Jesus is dead and buried, what do they go do? Well, they went right back to living their old lives like they were before Jesus. And don't tell me we haven't done that. Don't tell me that when we're frustrated and we kind of back away from Jesus because we think He's not moving or not doing or whatever, that we don't revert back into the life we used to know and do it ourselves. Don't tell me we haven't. Don't tell me I haven't. Don't tell me you aren't, because we've done it. We'll look at them and say, oh, you guys, really? Look in the mirror, (laughs) because it's happening all all day, right? It's happening right now. (laughs) And and now, as they go back to fishing, whatever it is that they knew, regardless of why they did it, uh, you know, look how frustrated now they become in the old life. They were frustrated in the new life because Jesus is gone, and they didn't know what to do here. And so, in their confusion, they go back to what they always knew, and guess what? They can't catch a gosh darn thing. They went back to what they know, and it wasn't working for them. (laughs) I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh, I think there's a reason for that, okay? Yet, they would have still continued to do it if Jesus doesn't show up again. I think they'd have gone right and stayed in that life if Jesus doesn't show up again. That's my opinion, but I think it. And so, when they had tired of having no success, they bring in their nets and they head for shore. The Bible says they've been out all night fishing. And there's Jesus on the shore, okay? I think they're a little bit shocked to see Him, but not really, maybe, you know? Maybe disappointing themselves. Maybe they're just going through motions. Maybe they're just, you know, just doing something. But here's Jesus, and he understands as they're coming in, he understands their disappointment of the failure. All the while, he knows that they've given up on him and gone to do what they always did. But he's not concerned with that at this moment. He's concerned with the present, which is their frustration of not catching fish. It doesn't matter why they did it or what they did. He just has concern. And so what does he do? Fills their nets for him. Now, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding, but that's what he did. He, he, they said, put your nets out. And so they, you know, they do it, you know, and Peter says, I've been fishing all night, couldn't catch anything, but because you tell me, I'll do it. So he does. And guess what? Pfft, their nets are filled. Now, you may wonder, why did Jesus do that? I think I might know understand something, it wasn't because He wants them to catch fish, and it wasn't because He wants them to feel better about themselves, because that's the first thing we want to do. We want to feel better about ourselves, and so we think Jesus ought to have compassion and do something so we can feel better. Don't tell me we don't, and don't tell me, you you can argue with me all day, you can say, but it's the truth. It's the absolute truth, and maybe I deliver it a little stronger than people like it, but the fact is, we're, we're all about our feelings here. We all are. But Jesus doesn't do it so they can catch fish, and He doesn't do it because He wants them to feel better. He wants these men to know that He is the answer to every frustration that they have. Everything in life, He is the answer to it that all good things in life come from Him, and that it comes to those who have faith in Him. That's what He's trying to teach them. He had zero intention of condoning their return to their old life. And He simply had no intention of just giving them what they wanted. But those are the two things we want first. We want Him to condone what we want to do, and then we want Him to just give us what we want. We do, you know we do. Their behavior was probably disappointing to Him, I'm sure it was, just as my behavior is oftentimes, and I know it when I'm disappointed to Jesus, do you know? I know it. I might not know it right away, I have an inclination sometimes, but I keep doing it anyway. And And then later on I absolutely know, and then I come to my senses, I always have thus far. And I make it right with him. Because you can't get right with other people to get right with him. You understand? You you just can't. So their behavior was disappointing to him, I'm sure. Yet he understood their lack of understanding of the kingdom of heaven. Because that's all this was. Their spiritual maturity wasn't quite there, or at least they had a lapse in it for that moment. And haven't we all? even though he had been teaching them for three years, even though he's been teaching me for a lot longer than that, and you probably for a lot longer than that. Now, I think sometimes, friends, as Christians, that we fail at our understanding of the kingdom of God. Hmm? Is that possible? That we fail as Christians in our understanding of the depth of the kingdom of God? Yeah, But when we do that, we get frustrated with how God does something, or if we perceive that He isn't doing something that we think He ought to do, or in the quickness that we want it done, if you will. When we fail understanding the kingdom of God, that's when this frustration starts to pile in. You look at anybody who's frustrated with God, and chances are they're failing at the depth of their understanding of the Word of God in the kingdom of heaven. You heard it here. and I couldn't preach it if I didn't understand it because I know I've done it, okay? Now maybe it happens even when we pray. And things don't go as we desire. Maybe we doubt God is listening, or maybe we doubt our own spirituality, right? Sometimes we'll say, oh, I can't pray or go to the depth of that because I'm doubting. It's not God, it's me, my spirituality. I I doubt my spirituality. Come on. Tell me you haven't done that. Your perception of the depth of of your spirituality determines your ability to pray. Ooh doesn't it but whatever it is whatever whatever's there whatever the frustration whatever's causing it here's what you should know Jesus still understands your frustrations he understands your disappointments he understands your failures and it doesn't matter how or why they happen he doesn't concern himself with that he wants you to know it so you don't do it in the future but he doesn't concern himself with teaching you that. He simply wants you to know that he's concerned about your frustrations, your disappointments, and your failures. And it doesn't matter, again, how or why they happen. He simply wants to reveal himself to you, to us, in ways that we don't see him for who he is. And then we can change our attitudes and our ways. He wants us to, to allow ourselves to, be him, to him to reveal himself to us in ways we don't understand that we've never seen before maybe. But He wants us in the end to see Him for who He is more than anything else. Just as He did for these disciples. He didn't just want them to notice that He was up on the beach with some fish to to feed them because they were hungry because they've been out working all night in the frustration. Never mind, they went through their old life to do it. He didn't want them just to recognize, he wants them to see them for him for who he is, so he puts these fish in their nets. I mean, why would he fill their nets if he's got sustenance on the fire? If all he was concerned with doing is feeding them because they were hungry physically, then he wanted to fill their nets. You understand? He wanted them to see who he was, who he is. He wants you to know who he is. While sustaining you, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Now, I'm sure that the disciples had this aha moment when he filled their nets. I imagine Peter said, wow, he's the Christ. What am I doing? I don't need to go out and fish not for fish I don't he can fill my nets, but somehow that's not what I'm looking for today it was it was but it's not and now it's not my focus became filling my nets I didn't even really need fish I'm not fisherman anymore I'm a servant of Jesus Christ I think that's stunning and I'm equally sure that they didn't turn tail and turn and, and run from their faith the next time things didn't go their way. I think there was a learning moment for them. Shouldn't we be so inclined? Which brings me to my last point this morning. Jesus understood Thomas's humanity just as he understands our humanity. You see, Jesus met Thomas. Doubting Thomas, he's called sometimes, at the point of his need, and Jesus helped his faith. Now, this comes from John chapter 20, again, one of my favorites. Remember when Jesus met the believers when they were gathered together. And you'll remember as well that some of the disciples had seen Jesus, but Thomas wasn't with them when they saw Him. Okay, so he, he hadn't seen Jesus yet, not alive again. And so... The Bible later tells us that He just simply appeared. The Bible says that the doors were locked and Jesus just appeared. No, He didn't come through the door and He he, he didn't come through the walls, we don't think. He was there, though. However He did it, He was in there. The door didn't open. He came The doors were locked for fear of reprisal from the Jews, so they locked themselves in this room and here's Jesus, just there. Poof. You know, Jesus kind of just poofs in sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes you're hoping to see Him, and sometimes you're not sure you want to. But He doesn't. He just shows up. And you're like, oh, (laughs) right? Sermon for another day. But this time, Jesus appears solely and only for Thomas. I believe that. I believe Jesus appeared this time for the disciples just so Thomas could see Him. He needed all of his disciples to be on board, every one of them. Thomas was no different. No matter how insignificant, he wasn't going to move forward with, the, with these 11 he still has and let yet another one doubt him. He's just not. And so he appears. He wanted Thomas to see him and believe he was alive. He wanted Thomas to have this because he knew Thomas' heart. He knew, my friends, <laughs> he knew... He knew that Thomas wanted to believe. He knew that Thomas desired to believe, even if he hadn't seen it. He knew <laughs> what Thomas knew. And, and I'm pretty sure Thomas wanted to believe, but his humanness and what Thomas knew from experience in life wouldn't allow him to believe. And Jesus doesn't question Thomas in that way, he simply understands Thomas's humanity. Friends, Jesus understands our humanity because He gets it when we're like Thomas. And if you haven't been today, you will be sometime. We want to believe not only in the existence of Jesus, but in His Godship. We want to believe that He hears us when we pray. We want to believe that He's concerned when we seek Him. We want to believe that He knows when we hurt. We want to believe all the things that we've been taught in the Bible that He is. And yet the devil makes us doubt it because our experience, you know, in life is so vast. And we put more stock in medical and science than we do in Jesus. But moving forward, When we pray, when we seek Him, we want to believe He's going to answer. How many times in the last week have you picked up your phone, cell phone or landline if you even have one of those anymore, and you dialed the number of a loved one or somebody or a business or whatever it is, and you wonder in your mind if they're going to answer? Sometimes because of the nature of the person, you assume they won't, (laughs) right? Or the situation in a company you're dealing with, you just assume that they're not going to answer because that's just the nature of who they are. They don't want Even if it's not true, you think it. Okay? We want to believe that Jesus is going to answer, and we want to believe He'll heal those that we pray for. We want to believe He'll help us in our situations, regardless of what they are, and we want to believe that our faith will give us... Eternity with Him. We want to have confidence in our spirituality, in the depth of it. And you know what, friends? Jesus understands that. He always has, even when you don't. It has to close today. Let me make this statement to you. Jesus understands you and me. He doesn't give us what we want. He doesn't condone sinful thinking and behavior. Compassion, love, and grace do not cover sinfulness. He wants us to change it. Because He wants us to see Him for who He is. You see, sometimes life seems to make fun of our best efforts. But Christ helps us to work through these discouraging situations that we have. Now, people may not understand us. Like I said before, you spend a lifetime trying to get people to understand you. Sometimes, some people never will. And maybe you're that person that nobody has ever understood. Your frustrations are over if you want them to be because Christ understands you. No, He may not agree with you, and He may want you to change but He understands you, be assured. (laughs) The fact is, we may not necessarily understand Jesus. (laughs) Have Have you ever thought that Jesus didn't understand you and really the one not understanding is you? It's that way every time, you know. We may not understand the Christ and we certainly may not understand the kingdom of God. But you can be sure that Christ always understands you. He even understands us when we don't believe we deserve to be understood. Now, there's a thought. And the enemy cannot control that. He'll try, but enough to him. Christ will always understand you even when you feel through Satan that you don't deserve to be understood. That's called condemnation. God says, away from that. I want you to make the premise that Ebenezer right here and move forward with me. Set the enemy aside because I defeated him. Now, when we when we come to this point, that makes life more worthwhile, doesn't it? And it makes the next life something we can't live without. Why? Because we really can't. Pray this morning. Our Father, how amazing You truly are. My prayer this morning is that we will see You for who You really are. I pray that whatever preconceived notions in our minds that we have about You, regardless of what we've ever been taught, what we've always believed, and what society wants to believe, or even what some false Christians want to think and say, I pray, Lord God, starting this moment, that we will understand the mind of Christ, that we will understand and have the love of Christ, and that we will see the understanding that you have for us. And if we need to change life, that we will have the courage to do it. And if we have sinful beliefs and sinful practices, or we're condoning for someone else, we will end it today. Not because you don't understand and not because we don't understand, but because you said, this is my standard and I set that bar high because I want you to have eternity with me. Let there be no doubt who we serve and why. And when we don't understand you, may we seek you because you certainly understand us. And I pray, Father God, today that you will not only protect us, but that you will lead us direct us, draw us closer to you, that we will have the truth of the word within us and not the alternative copy that lies before us in our society today. Be with us in everything we'll do. Thank you for protecting our church against the things that you do, the attacks of the enemy, the COVID-19 and all the other garbage that we haven't even seen yet. Thank you for the amazing services that we had Combined last week, the baptisms, the dedications, the spirit that moved here, there is no question in my mind that the enemy tries to throw a blanket on our joy and our experiences with you. And so we rebuke and bind him in your name. And we pray, Father God, that today and always, you will reign supreme in our hearts and minds. May we have your mind, your heart, your love and therefore your understanding. Be with us throughout the day. Thank you for those who are listening. And we pray you'll open the door for those that didn't catch it this morning to hear it in the future, for it's your Word and your truth. And we're grateful and thankful for all that you do. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, be safe, be healthy, and be spiritual. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.